<laughs> if you go to SoundCloud, stop it, I'm talking. <laughs> so hi everybody, welcome to the mini retreat. And yeah, again, I'm I'm really happy that you're all here. I, I'm uh, kind of fascinated by all of the different reasons that you're here, by all the different I don't even know what paths or energies that bring people to meditation. They're always every one of you said something kind of completely different from everybody else, but they all weave together into the same tapestry of searching for peace or calm or spirituality or connection to yourself or how to resolve things. It's all kind of the same thing. It's like a rainbow, you know, and a rainbow has all these different colors and all the colors are vastly different, but they're all right there next to each other and all part of this one thing. So, um, you know, I, I did something in Germany while I was in the monastery there and we did, um, so you have to have loving kindness practice. We did something where, it was kind of like about, it was, um, I don't know if it was on the winter solstice, maybe it was the winter solstice, but it was about that I lit a candle and we gave everyone candles and we had like a hundred people in this room, so it was a packed room. And I lit a candle and then, you know, we passed the light and everyone lit their candles off of my candles. We passed this flame through the room. And then, or we're sitting in a huge circle, I forget, but um, no, no, yeah. So we filled the whole room, like a hundred people filled this room passed the light of the candle around and then we all held this light and everyone looked at their candle and everybody made a prayer on their candle you know and everybody really sat and focused we did like a meditation on fire on the flame and then it really went deep in and we said you know everybody feel what is it that's really deep in your heart what do you really want yeah like what is the biggest pains that you have in your heart what are you struggling with in your life what's going on what resolution are you looking for? What answers do you want? What do you need? Really be honest with yourself. Deeply, deeply, deeply. What do you want? What do you need? And we had everyone look at their candle, and then everybody also kind of make this prayer on their candle. And then afterwards, we had, then behind me was our Buddha altar, the Buddha statue, and kind of table. And we had everybody, you know, come bring your candles up to the table. And we did that, and then said, you know, thank you, and it was a really beautiful thing. We all offered up the candles, and, you know, it was over, and there's really powerful energy in the room, and went home and carried this energy with them. And I turned around, and I looked at the table, and I just saw, you know, a hundred of these tea candles, just the whole table covered in this light. And I realized that every single one of those candles was a person, it was representing a person. And not just the person, but it was representing somebody's heart, somebody's deep heart wish, right? Somebody's deep pain, somebody's deep longing, somebody's deep need. And I just looked at all of these candles and I just kind of said, yeah, we, we are in this together. You know, everybody, any single person you come in contact with, they need something, they need help. Everybody is looking for an answer. Everybody needs something. Nobody has it all together. Yeah, everybody, if you gave them a candle and you said make a wish, if you gave them the magic lamp and they could rub it and make three wishes, everybody would have three wishes. There's nobody would be like, no, I'm cool. You can, you know. The new Aladdin movie, I think Will Smith is the genie. Uh, you know, and it's like, you know, you make the wish and he comes out and he's like, anything you want? And like, I'm, I'm good, thank you. And just kind of talk the lamp back, you know. 
every single person would say, I definitely have, I probably have a hundred wishes. Can I, can I wish for more wishes? You know, that everybody has something, if you go deep in their hearts, that they would wish for, that they want, that they need. And I just saw all these candles glowing in front of me, and I saw that, and I felt that. And it, it was this beautiful moment of humanity, and I would also say it was like this beautiful moment of compassion, of loving kindness, of this real, just, a real realization. It's easy to think in our head, oh, everybody's suffering, so I should be kind. You know, but then we still get pissed off at people all the time. Right? We get pissed off at ourselves all the time, right? That it's easy to have these grand ideas about love and compassion, but on this human level, it's hard. But in that moment, I saw that, that each of these people lit a candle and put it in front of me and said, yeah, I'm suffering too. Yeah, I'm hurting too. Yeah, I'm, I need something too. I need help. I wish that there was something that was different. And then when I could see that physically, I just felt such a deep, and the only word I could come up with is compassion, because it was like this feeling of love, but it was love with like a feeling of like sadness, or um, yeah, it was just kind of this deep kind of supportive feeling that, man, I, I hope that all of your wishes get fulfilled. I hope that all of these candles, you know, find their source. Whatever's going on here, I really hope that it happens. And I wish that for everybody in the world, because I see if all the people in this room have a wish, everybody in the world has a wish too. And it really dropped me into this really deep space in my heart where I just felt this deep sense of love and yeah, compassion for everybody. And um, this is definitely not how I planned to start off this talk today, but just jump into compassion, because that's the theme that we don't talk about often here. Often we're sitting, we're talking about meditation and focus and the mind and our thinking you know, but when you really drop down to a deeper level, when I was in the monastery, we didn't begin with meditation. We began with the monk precepts, which are no lying, no killing, no stealing, no intoxicants, no sexual acts. So it was really these trainings that we undertook to preserve harmony, but also to make ourselves into more I would say upstanding or virtuous or honest people in the monastery that we would practice not killing anything, which a lot of you say, that's kind of easy. And I'd say, oh yeah, go outside in the forest when there's mosquitoes around. It's really easy to not kill things. Yet to have ants and to, instead of squashing them, to take them one by one and bring them outside and do that because you care. Yeah, not because you're being forced by the Buddha to do it, but because it matters to you. Yeah, that when you're not allowed to tell lies, suddenly you say, well, I'm not really a liar. And I'd say, oh, yeah? Look at your speech throughout the week and say everything completely honest. You ever see that Jim Carrey movie, I think, like Yes Man, right? And you had the, or uh, not Yes Man. Liar, liar, yeah. And you had, yes, yes, that was another one. Liar, liar. And he had to speak the truth, you know, and he gets into an elevator with a woman and she's like, hi. And he's like, oh, you have beautiful breasts. And then she like punched him, you know, or then he just spoke out whatever came to his mind. And it got him in a lot of trouble, but it was like simultaneously very transformative for him because he, he was like a lawyer and used to lie a lot. And that if you are really honest, if you really only can speak out the truth, you suddenly are forced to look at your life and your behavior. Uh, if I know that I can only tell people the truth, I'm going to make sure that even when I'm not around people, I'm still going to behave in a way as if there's people around me. 
that I'm still going to do things in a way that I don't have to hide anything, that I'm not keeping anything secret, that I'm not living a life that feels <laughs> shameful or guilty, that I'm really then also acting in a way that's congruent, that's in my integrity. You know, it's in accord with, with the kind of person that I want other people to see me as, who I want to really be, because I can't lie. So I'm going to have to tell the truth when things come out. Yeah. And my relationship to that was sometimes I would just kind of speak the fifth, right? If I didn't want to say something, I would just, you know, I wouldn't lie, but I would just talk around it, right? But it starts to really make you face yourself and see yourself more clearly, right? And so all of these precepts, all of these rules, it started, it was called like a mind train. It wasn't like uh, the Ten Commandments, like thou shalt not or thou goes to hell. And it's more like if you do it, you then, you know, if I tell a lie, then I'm really forced to look at that and say, okay, why did I lie? It's because I was afraid. It's because I felt weak. It's because I thought maybe I'd be judged for something. Or it's because I don't actually even agree with how I'm behaving, you know, so then I should probably look at that. So it really just makes you look at yourself. There are these trainings to work on yourself and start opening things up and softening things up. So really basically the meditation on loving kindness, it's actually about feeling that, look, I'm a person too. I'm a human being. So one of my good friends, Derek, he does positive psychology and life coaching. And he said, there's, he said, you know, I went to positive psychology, I trained in positive psychology for years. And he said, but honestly, if anybody wants to go to school for like four years of positive psychology, he's like, I can break the whole thing down in two points. And he said, the first point is be thankful for everything. Be thankful for everything. Yeah, just think about that. Be thankful for everything. Just be totally thankful. Be thankful that I'm alive. Be thankful for this moment. If I'm thankful for everything, there's no room for anything else. Yeah, all of my discontentment, all of my upsetness, all my anger, there's no space for it. If the light is on in the room, then there's no shadow. Yeah, if you turn up the heat and this room fills with heat, there's no place for cold. You know, if I pervade my mind with gratitude, there's no place for all of these difficult, painful emotions. Everything just feels good. It's like a, a salve or a balm. So it kind of cleans out the mind. They said, be thankful for everything. It immediately changes your state. They said, the second thing that they teach is he said that it's about embracing your humanity. Giving yourself permission is the word he used. Permission to be human. And he said, those are the only two things. Be thankful for everything and give yourself permission to be human. Because when we give ourselves permission to be human, suddenly things like forgiving ourselves, suddenly things like, you know, being in life and moving forward and seeing where we are and being soft. Um, you know, when, when you mentioned before, like, um, you know, I'm anger and I don't want to be feeling this anger. You know, I would say to you, maybe you should feel that anger. You know, that anger is there to be felt. That anger is trying to say something. That anger is hurt. That's a hurt. That's a wound. That's a sadness. You know, why do we get angry? Because we've been hurt. Think about nature. Why does a dog get angry when it's threatened, when it's chained, when it needs to set a boundary? Yeah, all of our anger comes from hurt. And often we're sitting there battling our anger inside of ourselves. We're shooting our anger and burning everybody around us. But sometimes we have to look at our anger and say, well, why am I angry? I'm angry because I felt treated unfairly, because I feel disappointed, because I'm sad, 
because something didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Because I wanted love and I got something else instead. Yeah, and I have a wound. It's like if I get a splinter in my hand, that splinter goes in and then around that splinter it starts to get infected and it feels like pus, you know? I would say that like that pus, that's the anger, right? That the anger is like the pus, it's like the reaction, it's like your, your immune system, your, your emotional and mental immune system is reacting on something. But the point isn't the pus, it's like, yeah, the anger has to be there, but the point is the splinter that needs to get out. What is the wound? What is inside of me? What's the point? You know, it was really hard for me. I'll tell you, one of the best spiritual practices I had after being 10 years in the monastery was having to go home at 30 years old and live with my parents again. Yeah, you want to talk about like high-level spiritual practice. It was like me having to go live with my parents for a year. Yeah. And I became like, uh, everything I got, I lost, you know. But through losing everything, I started to really see, you know, this whole don't know mind. Well, where am I really? What's really going on? And I started seeing all this anger and all this resentment and all this resentment coming up and all these things. And I had to sit and look at that stuff and say, well, what do I want to do with all of this? And eventually I was able to drop underneath it and say, well, actually, I just feel a little bit embarrassed that I'm 30 years old living at home again. I know that I've been doing amazing things around the world, but there's something about the situation that I just feel like ashamed somehow in a weird way. Like I'm a disappointment to them because like I should be doing this, you know, so I felt like I was being defensive. Then also I realized that, you know, all of my old childhood stuff was coming up and, you know, my father, he had two different modes of talking to me. It would either be telling me what I'm doing wrong or telling me what I'm not doing right. You know, that kind of thing where, so I would just get angry and feel like I wasn't being seen and that's so I was angry at him, but it's like, actually, no, I just feel like I'm not, I just want him to be, you know, I just want to be seen. I just want to be loved as I am. I'll be accepted, you know? And if we kind of drop down on these really basic emotional levels, we'll see that a lot of our emotional states, a lot of our behaviors, a lot of the way we live our lives, it all is kind of like an, an external manifestation of some really simple principles. You know, if you look at the guy in the sports car who's killing it and blasting music and yeah, posting these, you know, selfies on Facebook, big muscles and beautiful places, you know, that person is looking for some kind of validation. You know, I see all these girls and I'm trying to have yoga studios and all posting their yoga poses and different things. You know, everyone's looking for some kind of like a validation. They want to feel this like source of acceptance. A lot of people, they build their entire lives over trying to get validation from other people or trying to feel like they're good enough, right? That I'm enough or trying to fulfill a function. If I can function, then I have purpose. If I'm not functioning, then I'm a failure. Yeah, a lot of us, we associate being function, being a good mom, a good daughter, a good husband, a good partner, a good coworker, a good something, you know, a good child, right? That if I'm a bad, if I don't fulfill my function, I have no worth, right? Then I'm like a failure. And we, instead of trying to feel that failure and worthless feeling, we'll, we'll exaggerate and we always try to function. We don't want anybody to see that we don't have all of our shit together and that we can't do everything, right? We put up this big wall, this big mat, right? Or we want to seem like we know everything because we think maybe like our work depends on our information, right? Or our security. So it's like if I really like that don't know mind, that's such a great thing because a lot of us are afraid to say I don't know. It's terrifying. If you say I don't know, suddenly we lose our relation point. We feel a deep sense of uncertainty. We have no more security. 
possibly no more value. I don't know. What do I have to offer? So if we really break down all of these kind of psychological, behavioral, habitual structures, they come down to, again, these really just simple principles, some really just simple human parts of ourselves, right? And a lot of it comes back to like love and kindness. Like, I just want to feel loved. I want to feel like I'm enough. I want to feel like I'm okay. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it, you know? And if, you know, I could take any question anyone has or any problem anyone has, and I could bring it back to, like, you want to feel like you're okay, slash everything's okay. You want to feel like you're enough or valuable or, like, this is okay, like, you're okay like you are, right? You want to feel, like, good enough, you're loved, you're fine. It all kind of comes back to these things. We all, at the end of the day, I was in art school, and one of my friends said, all artists just want to hug. You know, that was, like, his statement. You know that at the end of the day, all the stuff we do, we just want to feel okay. We want to feel like we're safe. We want to feel like we're loved. We want to feel a sense of value or importance. We want to feel like we have a sense that we know what we're doing or we know what to do. That we just want these very basic answers. And then we make it very complex. And that complexity is then what we're spinning around in our whole lives. That's what our lives are. It's a series of kind of complex webbing around all of that, these structures, without just dealing with the really basic questions, the really basic elements of them. Um, so I was, um, on the way over here, I was listening to a talk from this monk, his name is Achan Sumido. And, um, oh no, this is Ajahn Sujata. Ajahn Sujata. All the same to you guys, I know. Ajahn Sujata is not Ajahn Sujata. Ajahn Sujata. And I actually practiced, he was at this monastery in Australia that I was at for three months trying to do a retreat. And, uh, he was a really funny monk. He, uh, you know, in Buddhism, when there's an older monk that comes in, so we had this older talk today, but older means who's been ordained longer. So it's not an age thing, it's who's been ordained longer. So this is in the Thai tradition. So if an older monk comes in, then you bow to that older monk. So he's been a monk for, you know, whatever, 20 years, 30 years, something. So he came and he sat down and then the whole, you know, all the monks, the whole room kind of cleared out and everybody went up to him and they bowed to him. And, you know, he waited for everybody to bow and he looked at them and he said, thank you for recognizing my inherent superiority. <laughs> back down, you know. So he's very funny, but um, but he was also a scholar. He really studied Sanskrit and the Buddhist texts, and he made he's still actually making translations of some of the Buddhist texts and stuff. So really great monk. Um, and I was just listening to one of his talks in the car on the way over here, and he said, you know, we really need to to look at our language. We really need to look at how we understand ourselves, how we understand our internal world through our languaging, you can understand and see it. He said, for instance, when we're sitting down to meditate and we talk about doing breath meditation, right? We do breath meditation here. What do we do? We say, I am watching my breath. So he said, so take that sentence, I am watching my breath. So there's this I back in here somewhere who is then watching who's doing something, watching this breathing. 
But then what happens is that, and the breath is mine, right? So it's like this me, and I'm watching this thing that belongs to me, my breath, right? So within just that sentence, you see how we experience the world, that there's a me, then there's like the sense of doing, then there's an ownership of this object that's my breath. He said, but then we have these things come in called thoughts, right? So now there's like a third party in the room. That then there's me, and I'm trying to watch my breath, and then these thoughts are coming, and I'm trying to get rid of the thoughts so I can breathe, you know? And he's like, it gets really crowded in. He said, there's a lot going on in your head right now. It's crowded. And he said, and it's, it sounds really difficult and complex, and then people look at me and they say, I can't meditate. It's too hard. And he said, so now let's take that and let's go back to the actual text. What did the Buddha say? What is the actual, what is breath meditation actually about? And he said, the actual translation of what breath meditation is, it says, one breathes mindfully. That's it. One is breathing mindfully. So it's not like I am in this dark space in my head and there's this breath and I'm trying to watch and trying to push these things away. The only thing that I'm doing is that I am just breathing mindfully. That's it. It's an action. It's like I am picking up this cup. Yeah? And I'm aware that I'm picking up that cup, so I'm picking up this cup mindfully. I'm aware of it. Yeah? And then when you breathe, you're just doing something. So it's not like the thing that I'm doing is watching and then the next thing that I'm doing is having like fights with my thoughts trying to come in because, hey, I'm watching this thing. Get out of here, thoughts. I'm trying to watch. Get out of here, anger. Get out of here. You know, trying to do something here. He said, no, the only thing you're doing is you just are breathing. That's it. It's that simple. And I would say to you guys, like, when you're driving your car, you know, we're driving and then we're what, listening to music or we're thinking about things. You're almost never driving fully present or mindfully, but you're driving mindfully enough that you don't crash. And that's something I find fascinating is that we're driving all the time, but we're never really present while we're driving, right? But we do it. We make It makes sense. It works. And the same thing is with your breath, that you've been breathing your entire life. Believe it or not, you've been breathing since you came out. Yeah? This whole time you've been breathing. Did you know that? We'd all say, yeah, of course. But Mystic Nuno, did you really know that? Because we don't even notice it. We don't even experience that breath. So it's almost like when we're meditating, it's less about going to war inside of ourselves. It's not about like pushing away these thoughts or getting rid of the, you know, the, the anger, the different things that are coming up or the feelings, what am I doing? It actually drops back into when you say like that, don't know mind. What the don't know mind is, that's exactly what that is, is you're dropping all of these frameworks that you've been carrying around of what meditation is or isn't, what practice is or isn't. When you say, I don't know, like when you're saying about the mystery, right? That you're sitting in the mystery, because that's then all you're doing is that you come back to just being here and breathing. That's uh, one of my teachers, Dhammadipa, he said, it's amazing, right? You go to China and then they have libraries filled with books on emptiness. And he's like, what are they writing about? Yeah? It's crazy that we make things so complex, that we over-complex things, that we're living in like a triple removed reality, that we have this breath that's breathing, which is like this base level reality. Yeah, body's breathing. But then I'm watching my breath, so now I'm separate from that body, and I'm watching it, and now I'm judging that watching because it's not working, because there's thoughts, and then I'm fighting the thing in the background. 
and suddenly it's like we like we're folding our consciousness over onto itself that now there's like seven of me you know one of me is watching the breath and one of me is the breath and then one of me is fighting the breath and one of me is thinking and then the other me doesn't want to be thinking and it's like we're creating such complexity inside of ourselves it's insane yeah it's crazy uh, one of my good friends that I was a monk with, he went to Burma, and he was sitting there, and uh, you know, he went to this amazing meditation center, Pa Oak Sayadaw, an old Burmese monk, who's been there forever. And, you know, he memorized all of the, these huge Buddhist texts and sutras, and his, his eyesight's gone bad. So he just sit there, just focusing all night by candlelight, memorizing all these things. You know, it's amazing, powerful monk, and um, and he has all the students. They stay or like on like the early stages of enlightenment. So it's like he's, you know, really it's like one of the last monks that knows the path and taking people like in the jungle, like this whole kind of community is around him and it's this whole thing. And uh, so his students then are the, you know, the, the Sayada, he sees people every now and then, but you know, his students then have become teachers themselves. And that's uh, so one of my good friends, William. Oh, so he William who did the retreat here last time. So William, he went to Burma and he was practicing there. And uh, he was trying to meditate and feel his breath, and he was like kind of struggling with it. And he was forcing, you know, how do I keep my mind in my breath? And he was giving himself like an aneurysm a little bit, like just trying to focus on the breath, and it wasn't working. And he uh, he went to this one of the teachers, one of the Sayadaw students, who was his kind of like mentor, I guess, his guide. And he said, you know, and he just told him all the stuff. I've been sitting, I've been trying to breathe, but I've been thinking, and I'm worried about this. And am I not doing this enough, or should I, you know, practice more loving kindness, more peace, or should I? And then the teacher's just kind of sitting there looking at him. And he just kind of eventually starts shaking his head. And he's like, you are too much American. Too much Western. He said, be Burma. Be Burma. Look around Burma. People very simple. Yeah, the people, they're just like farmers. A lot of them never went to school. They just get up. They live their life. They're just here. They're happy. They're sad. They're angry. They just express how they feel. They just are. They're like pure you could say they're very childlike in that sense you know and he's like be burma don't be america be burma yeah and he was just trying to say like just be simple be easy stop thinking about it there's nothing to think about we're obsessed with thinking in our culture like i'm gonna think the answers out yeah it's insane how how is that thinking how have we done so far guys how's our thinking working out for us yeah did we do it? Have we thought our way out of this yet? Yeah. That we really, we try to think our way out of it. Also, Achan Sujato said this amazing thing as well. He said, where do those thoughts even come from? He said, right now, if I say to you, what is two plus five? Yeah, what's that answer? You know the answer in your head. Where does that answer come from? And then he said, well, some people say it comes from memory. And he goes, okay, 1,050 plus 8. You know that answer right away. He's never thought that before. I probably never made that combination, right? But it's in there. So he said, look, if you really look at your thoughts, where do those answers come from? Where do those, those numbers pop in? When you have like those aha moments, right? When you're an inventor, where do those things come from? They don't, it's not stuff you've ever thought about. It's not like if I just think it enough. Sometimes when we stop thinking, it allows space for the answers to come in. Sometimes the answers are trying to get in, but we've just occupied all of the potential space and energy by controlling and thinking and trying and doing, right? Versus just allowing, creating that space for new things to come in. So 
it's kind of interesting for me as somebody who, you know, has given on record now over 150 talks and records them and then, you know, looks at everybody and says, words are not the way, you know. But one of my teachers, Ashim Brahm, he used to say to me, you know, I talk so that there can be an end of talk. You know, my words are to bring silence. And that's kind of the point is that, you know, we need to use these words to find that silence. We need to do something to bring the end of doing. We need to actively create the end of action, right? So everything that we're doing here, that we're working towards that space where we can finally kind of like let things go, be a little bit more free. And simultaneously, there's so much of that that we can already do right now. Yeah, you can already for the next, uh, you know, however long this will be today, the next few hours, we can already practice that freedom, that peace, that simple, simpleness, simplicity. So in our lineage, the Lin Shi lineage of, of, uh, of Vietnamese Buddhism, the teacher Lin Shi, he said, you know, far greater than to fly through the air, far greater a miracle is it to walk on this earth. You know, and he was saying like, you know, in Buddhism, there's people that get superpowers, that they can fly and they can ignite into fire and dive into the earth. And they have these amazing powers of like using the body. And, and I've heard stories that there's still people around that can do this. I've heard, you know, firsthand accounts of people saying like, yeah, I saw this happening. It's insane and I don't know how to explain it. But there it is. It works, you know. Um, but Lin Chi said, you know, superpowers are great. But what's the miracle for me is somebody who can actually be here on this earth as a human who can walk in this place. You know, and this is what Thich Nhat Hanh is a lot about, too. About if you're, you know, drinking, just drink. If you're sitting, you sit. If you talk, you talk. Just be where you are. When we meditate, when we're sitting here, just sit and breathe. And that's it. And if you think, who cares? It's like when you're driving, you're just driving. You don't care if you're thinking or not. So why do we feel comfortable driving from our home to the meditation center having a million thoughts? but we don't feel comfortable sitting and breathing and having a million thoughts. Yeah, what is it that we're at war with inside of ourselves? What do we think that we need to change? What is so hard about just being here? Allowing things to be really simple. Allow yourself to be bored today. Yeah, that's my assignment. Try to be as bored as possible. Maybe some of you are like, that's bored already. <laughs> Try to be as bored as possible. Yeah, let's just be boring. Because what's right on the other side of boredom, it, there's, it's a crust. You can only be bored for so long. And eventually, boredom also breaks through. And then you become present. You become simple. You're just sitting here. Life is easy. Yeah? We're all burdened with all these stories and problems. All of our emotions are stories. Yeah? Remember that. All of your emotions are stories. Your emotions are connected to a story. You're not angry. I'm angry because... Right? I'm not stressed. I'm stressed because. I'm not sad. I'm sad because. Emotions are a story that we're feeling. There's a story in our perception that we're reacting to, and that's what, that's what an emotion is. A story plus a feeling is an emotion. And if you really start to break that stuff down, and it's good, and it's important to look, sometimes these talks and sometimes the teachings like I talked about on uh, Wednesday, it's like they seem like they're contradictory, right? Because on one hand, we do need healing. We do need 
therapy. We do need to work things out to acknowledge and recognize things and speak them out. Um, you know, I when I did my three-month silent retreat, I cried every day for the first month of that because there was just so much stuff that just had to come out and be seen, be felt, and be heard, and be understood. You know, and then simultaneously, by the end of the retreat, I realized that there was nothing to do. That I used to meditate. By the end of that three months sitting alone in my room, I would meditate just by sitting here staring at the wall. I didn't even close my eyes anymore. I just sat there and looked at the wall. And I just had thoughts kind of going up and feelings in my body going up. And it was just this deep sense of like there's absolutely nothing to do but just be here, whatever's playing in front of my face. And I was in this complete state of like peace and equanimity within all of that because it didn't matter. You know, just everything is just here. Whatever's here is here. The state of now, being, whatever. You know, and both of these things are true. So it's true that we do need to work through our, our humanness, right? We do need to allow ourselves to be human and acknowledge that once we leave this room, our stories will pick right up again. And simultaneously, we have to acknowledge the fact that it's all bullshit. Yeah, that those stories only have as much power over us as we give them. Those stories are only as true as we allow them to be. That at any given moment, we could just actually just let go of the past. Yeah, it sounds crazy. You want to honor the past. We love, we're very loyal to our suffering. Yeah, we want to honor our suffering. I was really depressed at a point in my life. And when I was looking at that, and I was like, why don't I allow myself to be happy? I was like, because I wouldn't be honoring my suffering anymore. Because it's like, if I allow myself to be happy, it's like I suffered for nothing. You know, it would be like the suffering happened in that back room, and then there's a party in this room. And it's like, how can that be? You know, so I need to stay in that back room with my suffering. Because if I was partying, then I wouldn't be honoring that pain. And there comes a point where you have to say, that's absurd. That's absurd. I'm going to sit in my suffering because I think that if I'm being happy, I'm like doing my suffering an injustice, but it's not being seen. That's absurd. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, but that's how we, that's how we roll. We keep these stories going. We keep believing ourselves. We keep it all running. Yeah. And I say we, because I'm in that boat too. I'm not like looking at you, saying like, you guys are so stupid. You know, I do the exact same thing. I'm driving over here, and I was watching my mind as I was driving over here today. And I was making plans. There's a new Tony Robbins event coming up next month. I was like, oh, maybe I should go. Maybe I'll have to leave the acting class, like the last class of acting. Maybe I'll have to leave like half an hour early and just tell them to meditate without me for the last half an hour. Then I'd have to like get to the airport. And then what was this? Like? And I was just watching myself doing that. And then I thought about, okay, and then I come home today. I'm home sleep. And I just allowed myself to be who I am and watch it simultaneously. And I was like, my problem is that I plan all the time. I'm a planner. I'm planning, 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 planning. Because I want control. Because I want to feel safe and I want to feel like I know what I'm doing. And if things don't go the way that I want, I become a little child just having like a tantrum. And I get all upset. I'm disappointed because my plans didn't work. And I spend all this time planning. And now I'm angry because I planned for nothing. Yeah, and that's kind of like one of these mechanisms that was just running and running and running all by itself in my mind. You know, but by acknowledging it, by allowing myself to be human, I have permission. Yeah, you have permission to plan. And also I'm going to laugh at you because it's so silly. You know, so I'm a human, so I'm going to have my stories, but I'm simultaneously going to understand that it's absurd. And I can laugh and say, I feel so upset that my plans didn't work. And I can still laugh at myself. Yeah, and that's kind of the middle way that we're looking for. 
So this is kind of, again, what we talked about last Wednesday when we were saying, it's like, well, how can we all be empty and nothingness but simultaneously we have lives to live, right? And that created some anger, right? How do we do that? And this is kind of the way that we're supposed to do that is you have to acknowledge your humanity, acknowledge all these thoughts, all of my craziness, and simultaneously kind of laugh at yourself and say, it's funny. Yeah, it's, I'm never going to get what I want. I keep creating the same suffering for myself, but I keep doing it anyway. And that's hilarious. That's like what comedy is about, I think, if you want it to be. I guess it's also what craziness is about. But, you know, it's up to us changing that relationship. And that's what self-love means. That's what self-forgiveness is about, right? That's what like loving kindness means on a really deep level. It's that I allow myself to be in a way that even I think it's crazy, but I know that I don't have the power to change it yet. And I just kind of laugh at it and I take it easy and I don't blame myself. I don't that like beat myself up. Like I do this like the monks that used to not our monks, but like the Christian monks that like hit themselves, self-flagellation. Right? You know, you beat yourself up. I'm bad. I'm bad. It's like you're not bad. You're a human being. You're fine. You're crazy. We're all crazy. Fine. Yeah, take it with a grain of salt and start creating them that healthy space of distance and humor and like allowing yourself to be sad, but also realize, and my sadness is silly and I'm angry and my anger is silly. You know, acknowledge it and also take away its power. Re reclaim that power for yourself. So for this mini retreat today, this is going to be a lot of this, a lot of like looking at yourself a lot of time with yourself and that's also why I said right phones are off try not to talk too much that really just take the time to be with yourself be with your mind see what's going on don't fight anything please don't fight if you're just going to sit here and think the whole time okay then after the meditation you go well I know what my problem is it's obsessive overthinking yeah maybe you can see what the themes are right maybe you can isolate it right some people worry some people plan some people are just restless. Some people have doubts. Some people think about all the things that they want. Yeah, if you're going to obsessively overthink, no problem, but at least try to understand, well, what am I thinking about? Or is it just like a fire hose that's just spraying in all different directions, that there's nothing that's even, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just all over the place. And then you can say, okay, I'm all over the place. And don't take that so personally. Yeah, just acknowledge it. Oh, I'm all over the place. Okay, cool. Because ultimately, the longer that we sit, the reason that we have these extended retreats today is because the longer you practice, the more that's all going to settle down by itself. Yeah? That ultimately, all of that stuff can also just be, if you change your lens, all of that stuff can just be called movement of the mind. All of your thoughts, all of your feelings, all your stories, all that stuff is just the mind moving. Yeah? If you want to get down to that real basic level, it's just the movement of the mind. And as we practice meditation, the mind is going to slow down. So on one hand, yeah, we want to solve all these things. And on the other hand, we can also just let the mind calm down. That all of the dirt, you know, if this cup has dirt in it, and you swirl it around and everything's dirty and you just kind of leave it alone, all that dirt's going to sit to the bottom. And then you're going to have this really clear water. And the dirt's still there, but the water has become clear. Yeah, and that's what meditation is. It's not necessarily that like you've solved all of your life problems. A lot of us were trying to solve everything. If I can solve all of my life problems, then I can meditate. 
I can solve all my life problems and I can feel happy and peaceful and relaxed. Yeah, all my plans. If I can figure out all my plans, then I can chill out. Yeah, but maybe it doesn't, maybe there's a whole other way. Maybe we can just allow all that stuff just to settle. Not to push it away, because if you try to push that stuff, what's it going to do? It's going to keep spinning. It's going to make your water dirty again by pushing at it. What if I just allow, allow all that stuff to settle? Yeah, my life is uh, in, what is it, in, like a construction zone. My life is in construction. In German, we call it a Bauchstelle. Yeah, my Leben is ein Bauchstelle. Right? My life is like a construction area. That it's just, a, it's like I'm living in it. There's half-built stuff and dust and ladders. And, yeah, it's totally, my life is a mess. But I'm now going to sit down in that mess and meditate and relax, take a break, build later. Yeah, so let's give ourselves that opportunity today just to really be here as much as possible, to observe, to not try to fix ourselves, to change ourselves, but to try to maybe more understand ourselves. Yeah, what is that wish? What does my candle want? Yeah, what is it inside of my heart that really feels like it? What do I really want? What matters? What are my thoughts doing? What are these mechanisms running? Look at everything through the eyes of curiosity. Yeah, I'm here to understand. I'm not here to fix control for. I'm just here to know, be, to be. So that's going to be, I would say, my first impulse for today, is that's how we can relate to ourselves for the remainder of today. More of a, with an open mystery, a question, a spaciousness, what's going on? Yeah, just see it. And, um, and then we'll do, um, so we'll do a sitting meditation, we'll do walking meditation, take a break, maybe sitting walking, and then we'll see, maybe I'll do a sharing in the middle somewhere, see what feels good. And, uh, and then I guess there's some soup afterwards for those who are interested. So yeah, let's get into our first meditation, do a little bit of a longer meditation. So again, if anybody needs to go to the bathroom or anything before the meditation, we do that. If you want to get some tea, you can. Maybe we'll just take like a three-minute break. <laughs> 